you would turn in God's holy word to the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. This is uh, sermon 18. You know, I had, I had envisioned 25 sermons in the book of Hebrews. Well, you can tell I'm not going to make that by any stretch. But this is sermon 18. We're going to be looking at Melchizedek this morning. I entitled the sermon, Melchizedek, King of Righteousness and Peace. Finally, the author who has desired to speak about this mysterious man by the name of Melchizedek that we are introduced to there in Genesis 14, as he desires to further unpack, as it were, the, the high priestly ministry of the Son of God, God's final word in these last days, right? The one who's better and greater than all that preceded him. He's longed to do that particularly how Jesus and his high priestly ministry relates to this figure called Melchizedek. He set out to do this in chapter 5, but because of his, his readers, as he says, they were, they were dull of heart. They, they were lazy. They were spiritually indifferent, ambivalent, if you will. So he deferred, and he, he gave them that warning that we looked at a few weeks ago there in chapter four, chapter 6, verses 4 through 8, warning them of the dangers of, of falling away. And now here in chapter 7, the, the preacher once again unpacks the, the ministry of Jesus Christ and his high priestly ministry and, and how it relates to Melchizedek. So this morning, the text before us is, is rather dense, right? I don't want to be dense. I want to be clear in my exposition. But it is dense, and it's packed full. And the reason he couldn't share it with those he wanted to share it with originally there earlier in the book is because they were dull of heart. They were lazy. They were indifferent. Hopefully, he's got their attention. Hopefully, he's got our attention in the Holy Spirit to, to lock in to put our thinking caps on, to pray for the Holy Spirit, right? We've been talking about this. It's not only God has spoken, God is still speaking, church. He's speaking through His Word, right? That's why He says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Because He's addressing us in His Holy Word. So let's pick up, let's take a few steps back. Let's look at chapter 6. Verse 17, and then we're going to read through chapter 7, verse 10, just to set the context. Again, let's be praying and asking, Holy Spirit, come. You who breathed out this word, illuminate our minds to, to understand what you're trying to teach us regarding the, the glory and the, the beauty and the goodness of our God in Jesus Christ, our faithful high priest. Let's look at God's holy word, verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly, that is, without doubt, to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, that is, his promise and his oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled, that is, escaped for refuge, might have strong or powerful encouragement to, to hold fast, that is to seize to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, 
where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, chapter 7, verse 1, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling or, or being made like Picturing the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man Melchizedek was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils? And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, Melchizedek, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men. But in the other case by one of whom it is testified that he lives on or forever. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now you can see, that's pretty technical, isn't it? There's a lot of specificity there. It's very granular, but that's all for a reason. The Holy Spirit has given it to us this way. This is why we need to pray. You need to pray for the preacher as I preach it, that I'd be faithful to it, and that you would be faithful to hear it and learn what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. Let's pray and ask him to do that. Lord, we have no good apart from you. We look not to any man. The arm of flesh is a vain hope in the day of battle. That's like horses and chariots. You are a great defender. You're our anchor, Lord Jesus. You're our forerunner. You're, our, you're the captain of our salvation. Oh, Lord, come now in this hour and bless your word. Feed your people. Enable us to leave this place having a better grasp of who Melchizedek was and how he foreshadowed and typified the one greater than Melchizedek, the one greater than Aaron, the one greater than Moses, the one who's greater than all the angels, your final word, Jesus Christ, our Lord and great high priest who ever lives to make intercession for us. May we value him and treasure him above everything. We pray, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in your name. Amen. Have you ever heard of Harry Freezy? How many of you have ever heard of Harry Freezy? Anyone here? He made what many would say was the worst trade in all of the history of sport. In 1920, as the owner of the Boston Red Sox, Mr. Freezy, agreed to trade Babe Ruth. Yep, that's right. 
Babe Ruth to the New York Yankees to be compensated for a measly $100,000. Now, a measly, that's, you have to put that in parentheses, right? That's a lot of money in any day. But relative to Babe Ruth, that's what was traded. And as they say, the rest is history. Ruth would go on to hit 665 home runs. He would lead the Yankees to seven World Series he would create or help create the, the greatest dynasty, one could argue, in all of sport. Meanwhile, the Red Sox did not win another World Series for 84 years. It was only in 2004 that they would win again. They have since won, I believe, in 2018 as well. Well, saints, the, the believers being addressed here in Hebrews are being tempted to make a trade that is infinitely even worse. They're thinking about abandoning, that is, trading Jesus Christ, the, the perfect priest king, and returning to the weak, ironic priesthood of, of Moses, of, of the old covenant, you know, where they painted with numbers, as it were. A priesthood that could not and cannot secure forgiveness of sin, that cannot and did not secure righteousness that the author is going to tell us in verse 19 that, that through the law, nothing was made perfect. The law made nothing perfect. Now, you need to let that work on you a little bit if you're looking to the law to justify you before a holy God. Just sit in that for a little bit. The law made nothing perfect. Nothing and no one perfect. Well, here in chapter 7, the preacher shows us now how, how Jesus can save, how, how Jesus' priesthood, not in the order of Aaron, but in the order of Melchizedek, can save. He, he can secure salvation. He, he has secured it. Right? The, the forerunner has gone into the Holy of Holies. And that anchor is set fast in the throne of grace by his oath and his promise that we know that if we look to him, we will be saved. We will have salvation. And he knows that if Christians are going to properly understand the, the priesthood of Jesus, Christians must understand who this mysterious figure named Melchizedek is. Who is he? And what is his relationship to Christ? Well, the preacher does this by way of comparison, right? That's a great way to teach, pedagogically, right? To teach. He's going to compare Melchizedek to, to Abraham, in verses 1 to 4, and then he's going to compare Melchizedek to, to Levi in verses 5 to 10. So let's look at the first point. The first point is comparing Melchizedek, this mysterious figure that we met there in Genesis 14. It's also found in Psalm 110, verse 4. The first thing we notice is that Melchizedek was, was actually a historical person. He was a priest king of the Most High God. Now, there's a lot of speculation about Melchizedek that surrounds him, right? Was he, he's an eschatological figure. That is, he's a figure of the last days who will come and bring in the judgment of God. Some speculate he's, he's an angel of the Lord, but he's not an angel, nor do I believe he is the pre-incarnate Christ. Rather, he's a type. He foreshadows Christ who was to come. Simply put, a, a type of Christ is a, is a reference, Now you want to write this down, is a reference to an Old Testament person. 
historical event, institution that foreshadows Christ's person and work. Passover is a type. The tabernacle is a type. Adam is a type. All of them point forward to and find fulfillment in the anti-type. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 3 why I say this. He's not the pre-incarnate Christ. It's not a theophany. Notice what he says there in verse 3. He was a man, what does it say? Resembling the Son of God. Literally, having been made like the Son of God. Notice that he's compared to, right? He compares the two, but they're not identical. Saints Melchizedek was an ordinary human being who, we are told in Genesis 14, was king of Salem. A literal king in a historical context. There in Salem, which is an abbreviated form believed to be Jerusalem, from which we get the Hebrew, or the Hebrew word peace comes. He's a priest of the Most High God. He, he's a priest king who, who met the patriarch Abraham as he was returning from the battlefield, having defeated this, this cadre of kings who had invaded the Jordan Valley and captured his nephew Lot. And notice that he surprisingly serves in both of these roles. He's not only a king, but he's also a priest. And outside of Jesus and Melchizedek, the Bible identifies no one as both king and priest. In the Old Testament, no priest could lawfully serve as king, and no king could serve as priest. Now, there were a couple of kings who tried. Remember Uzziah, Isaiah 6, high and lifted up, holy, 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 the angels, the seraphim, the cherubim, right? right? He tried. And he was struck with leprosy, and he was cut off. And then this week, as I've been reading and studying through 1 Samuel, Saul also tried. You remember when Saul was frustrated, waiting on Samuel? Ah, I'll be there in seven days. But he was a little, just a tad late. It was like seven days and a half. But Saul couldn't wait. And he tried to justify it, offering up a sacrifice. And God cut him off as well. You see, saints, these two offices, king and priest, were to be kept separate in the Old Testament. And yet here in Hebrews 7, Melchizedek served as both king of Salem and priest of the Most High God. Well, not only is he a priest king, notice what he does. He's a, he's a priest king who does what? He brings blessing. We're told in verse 1 that when he met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, he, he blessed him. We read in Genesis 14 that, that while the king of Sodom came out to negotiate with Abram, or Abraham, as his name would be changed to, Melchizedek came out to celebrate Abraham's victory. And what did he bring? He brought bread and he brought wine, right, to celebrate the great victory that Abraham had secured. And in response, we're told that Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the spoils, right? Beloved, Melchizedek's blessing of the patriarch Abraham here is critical to the preacher's argument here in Hebrews 7, showing the connection between Melchizedek and Christ. The author's going to go on to tell us in verse 7, the greater blesses the lesser, right? The greater blesses the lesser. Now, you need to pause and think about what's happening here. Now, think about this. Who's greater in the Old Covenant 
in the Old Testament than Abraham? Well, you can make a case for maybe Moses, maybe David. But really, in actuality, Abraham is the archetypal saint, as we've seen, right, repeatedly. Right? He's always the one appealed to for the, for the model, the paradigm on how and what the Christian life looks like, what the life of faith, the pilgrimage of faith looks like. And yet here in Genesis 14, and here in Hebrews 7, we have Melchizedek. Now, now listen, he's a non-Israelite king. He's depicted as superior to Father Abraham, the one in whom the promise and the oath had been given. The text is clear. Melchizedek, now get this, Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. Don't miss that. That's imperative to understanding what he's arguing here. In verse 2, the preacher wants us to notice the meaning of Melchizedek's name. Notice his name. He's king of righteousness. Melech, king in Hebrew. Hebrew, Sadiq, or righteousness, right? Melchizedek is king of righteousness who reigns in Salem, this city of peace. So who is he? He's king of the Most High. He's a priest who blesses. And his reign foreshadows Christ. Well, thirdly, he's a priest king who lives and serves forever. He has no beginning of days nor end. So it seems, at least the silence of the text is telling us this. We see from verse 3 how some have argued that Melchizedek is somehow immortal, right? That perhaps he is the pre-incarnate Christ. Notice what it says in verse 3. He's without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But, but let us be reminded, the, the argue here is not about the immortality of Melchizedek, but about his priesthood. You see, what the Holy Spirit wants us to see is that Melchizedek, unlike the Levitical priest, was not a priest because of who his father was. Because his mother was was a Levite. No, that's not what he's arguing. Nor was he a priest because he had those who would succeed him. Saints Melchizedek is a priest of the Most High God by divine appointment, by divine ordination. That's why he's a priest. It's not that Melchizedek didn't have a mother or father or genealogy, but rather that it's not recorded for us here on purpose. The silence of not having Melchizedek's genealogy recorded for us in Genesis, of all books of the Bible that's full of genealogies, is deafening, right? He's trying to teach us something from silence. He's arguing from silence because he's trying to show us that Melchizedek, a historical king of Salem, king of righteousness, a historical person, is a type that points forward to the Lord Jesus Christ, the anti-type who has an eternal priesthood, right? All of this was to draw the contrast between Melchizedek's priesthood with that of Levitical order, which was entirely based on who your father was. You see, you could not serve as a priest in the line of Aaron unless you had the bona fides, right? You had the credentials. You need to have the credentialing card that says, I'm of the tribe of Levi. And you could prove it. We know this because in Esther chapter 2 and also the book of Nehemiah, men had stepped forward to serve in that capacity, but you know what they couldn't prove? They couldn't prove their genealogy. They couldn't prove 
that they truly were of Levi. So they were not allowed to serve. You see, church, Melchizedek's priesthood had nothing to do with ancestry or descent. It was by divine appointment. Divine appointment. So you need to think back. Now, what is the argument here? Why is he doing all of this? Remember the context. Why would these Jewish believers who are being persecuted for the name, right? The world's against them. They're suffering. Many of them have lost their jobs for the name of Jesus. They haven't yet lost any blood. That could soon come. But many of them were contemplating going back to Judaism, going back to Moses, going back to Levi, going back to the Aaronic priesthood. And he's trying to say, why would you go back to that which is out of date? The shelf life has run for the Aaronic priesthood, the sons of Levi. Well, fourthly, Melchizedek is a priest, priest king who receives, we're told in verse 4, take note of just how great he was, that after he blessed Abraham, Abraham gave him a tenth of all the spoils. Out of all the spoils, Abraham coming off this great victory with the promise of God that's been given to him there in chapter 12, which is going to be confirmed for him there in chapter 15 with the cutting of the covenant, has these great promises. He's called the patriarch. And yet we're told that out of thanksgiving and gratitude, he gives a tithe of all he has to God. Again, the point is to stress to us that as great as Abraham was, Melchizedek is even greater. Well, that leads to the second point, right? That leads to the second point. We've looked at him compared to Abraham. Let's look at Melchizedek compared to Levi in verses 5 to 10. The talk of Abraham's tithe leads the preacher in verse 5 to remind his readers now that according to Numbers 18.21, the Levites who descended from Abraham received tithes from the sons of Abraham on the account of their priestly service, right? The worker is worthy of his wages, But here we need to stop and think. If Levi and his sons, that is the Levitical priesthood, were to receive tithes, the question is, why is Abraham giving a tithe to Melchizedek? Again, remember the context. They're they're vacillating. They're they're thinking, am I going to go back to what's comfortable, the status quo, the, the Mosaic covenant, and find solace? Well, we've already read that the law perfected nothing, so why go back? It's already run its course. The fulfillment has come. In these last days, God is no longer speaking in a picture book, in the types and shadows. He's now spoken once and for all in the Lord Jesus Christ, his his final word. You see, saints, the point the author's trying to make is that Abraham paid the tithe to show the superiority of Melchizedek's priesthood to that of Levi's. Now, follow the logic. It's rather dense here. Let me follow my notes very clearly because it's, it's, it's dense. You've got to think about this. Follow the logic. Follow the syllogism. The Levitical priest descend from Abraham. Right? We got that. And Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. Therefore, Melchizedek's eternal priesthood is superior to that of the temporary priesthood of Levi. In verse 6, the author continues to make his point. Though Abraham had been given the promises of God, and as great and as awesome as those promises of salvation were, we're told that it was not Abraham who blessed Melchizedek, 
but Melchizedek who blessed Abraham. Again, he's driving home this point because he wants his Jewish readers who are coming out of Judaism, contemplating going back to Judaism and abandoning Jesus, right? They've tasted. They've been exposed to the power of the kingdom of God. Some of them perhaps have maybe gone back, but he's afraid. He's, he's pastorally shepherding the folks. He's preaching the word of God. He's reminding them of the superiority of Jesus Christ. That Jesus' priesthood is superior to that of the Aaronic priesthood, to that of Aaron, to that of Levi. Why would you go back to that which is temporal and perishing and obsolete? So you stop and you think, well, why all this specificity regarding who's blessing who here and who pays the tithes to who? Simply put, it's this. The preacher wants these weary Christians he's writing to to see and understand that the Old Testament itself showed early on that the Levitical priesthood was always meant to give way to something and someone greater, and that something and someone greater is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He's no longer painting with numbers. The scaffolding of the law must come down because the reality has come. Jesus Christ. Why go back? Why look to the law which could perfect nothing? Can the blood of bulls and goats take away human sin? It was all foreshadowing, all typifying, pointing forward to the one, to the Lamb of God, John says, who takes away the sin of the world. So it begs the question, doesn't it? Which priesthood are you looking to? Well, you're saying, well, I'm not tempted to go back to the Aaronic priesthood. I'm, I'm not a Jew. No, that's true. But there are all kinds of priests. All kinds of gurus going to tell you to have your best life now, right? Who are you looking to to secure salvation for you? Are you looking to your own good works? The priesthood of your own ministry? Your own capabilities? Your own resume? Right, your own portfolio, whatever that is, or are you looking to Jesus Christ? You see, the Levitical priesthood, like the Old Covenant itself, foreshadowed the reality, the reality that would come in God's final word in Jesus Christ. Now, this all seems very strange, right? It seems a very strange way to argue for the superiority of Melchizedek to that of Aaron and Levi. Particularly this idea of Levi, the inferior, paying tithes to Melchizedek, the superior, through his great-grandfather, Abraham. But biblically speaking, this, this concept of solidarity, this, this concept of covenantal solidarity is very common in the Word of God. Notice the point he makes in verse 9. One might even say that, that Levi himself, who receives the tithes right, from all of his brothers, the other children of Abraham paid tithes through Abraham, for Levi was still in the loins of Abraham when Melchizedek met him. So don't let the density and the technicality of the argument discourage you. And as we're going to continue in Hebrews, we're going to see in, in greater clarity how, how Jesus and his priesthood and the order of Melchizedek has done what Levi and the sons of Levi's priesthood could not do with the blood of bulls and goats. It could never cleanse a guilty conscience. It can never wash away sin. For if salvation had been obtainable through the law, then there never would have been a need for another priest to arise. Not in the order of Aaron, but in the order of Melchizedek. 
I want to finish this morning by just three things. I want to drive us to three things this morning. Three reasons why we must hold fast to this Jesus who's, who's been given a priesthood not based on genealogy, not based on who his father was, because he's going to go on to argue that wasn't Jesus from the tribe of Judah? Well, Judah doesn't qualify to be a priest, so how is he a priest? Well, he's a priest because he has been appointed, because he's given a priesthood, an eternal priesthood, like the priesthood of Melchizedek. But three reasons we must hold fast. First, the, the excellency of Christ. Let me just ask a few questions to you this morning. Who but Christ fulfills what Melchizedek foreshadows? Who but Christ can be both priest and king? Who else has died once for sins, the just for the unjust, to bring us to God? Who else now lives forever by the power of his indestructible life? Saints, and who else do we see perfect justice and mercy kiss at the cross? And whom else can we find righteousness and peace? Who else has quenched Mount Sinai's flame and washed us with his blood? Who else can wash you with his blood and brought us nigh to God? In Jesus Christ is alone found the blessing of God. What other king comes bringing bread and wine, Right? What other king comes serving you in this capacity, in this way, this way, loving on you, bringing water for your thirsty soul? As he says in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger nor thirst. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Right? Why do you hold fast to Christ? You must hold fast to Christ because apart from his righteousness, you'll never have peace with God. You see, you'll never have peace with God apart from the righteousness of Jesus. By faith, you've been justified, and by faith, you have peace with God. Without his righteousness received by faith alone, you'll never have this peace. You'll, you'll never have rest for your souls. But in Christ, the, the king priest of the Most High, God's promises to all who come are righteousness and peace. You see, there's no other priest nor priesthood who offers you righteousness and peace this morning. We began this morning talking about the, the foolish trade between the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees, right? Beloved, the ultimate form of foolishness, the one with eternal consequences, would be to trade the priest who lives forever to make intercession for you for a priesthood that cannot cleanse you, that cannot satisfy. A priesthood that was merely typological and temporary, right? That was the Mosaic priesthood. Saints, the Levitical priesthood was put in place until the fullness of time had come, when the seed of Abraham singular would appear, securing salvation, not with the blood of bulls, with the blood, with his own precious blood. May God Most High and Jesus Christ, his Son, our High Priest, who's been given this priesthood according to the order of Melchizedek, may he keep us faithful, holding fast to him all our days. Now that's just an introduction. Next week we'll look further into this ministry of Melchizedek and dissect exactly what he did for us and what he's doing for us even now in making intercession for us. Let's pray and ask this blessing. Our Father, we thank you for your holy word. We pray, Father, that we would know something of the greatness of Jesus, the greatness of his person and work for us, both in his active and passive obedience. Oh, Lord God, we thank you that he ever lives now 
at your right hand to make intercession for us. That all who would come to you, you would no wise cast out because they come in the name of the way, the truth, and the life, even Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus himself. Lord, we thank you for so great a high priest. We pray and we would ask, we would grow in our understanding of his person and work and what he's done and what he's doing. We pray in his holy name now. Amen.